Welcome back to the Love Your Story podcast. This is episode 76, Body Talk, Stories from the Inner Critic. Looking in the mirror has for many become one of the most uncomfortable things that we do. Uncomfortable because the minute we do, the inner critic hammers away. It's universal. You're not alone. Criticizing the physical form we each inhabit is a rampant and pervasive story no matter where you live or who you are. Keep listening for a discussion on body talk, recrafting body stories, and why we're all in this together. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Now, I love my body. It's taken me up mountains, down mountains, across lakes, across deserts, down canyons, across dance floors, into incredible intimacy and anywhere I directed it to go. It's strong and healthy, and with the exception of accidents that have left me broken, it always has been strong, and I haven't had health issues. I've been blessed beyond measure, really. I've been able to see the world, to see loved ones, trees, scenic views, and blooming flowers in all their colors, sunsets and sunrises, the depth in another person's eyes and all the amazing things we take for granted every day because we have eyes. I've been able to hug people I care about. I've been able to feel the music and let my body respond. I've been able to hear people express ideas, teach, complain. I've heard dogs bark, music play. I've been able to taste and enjoy delicious foods and smell pine needles and Christmas candles, cookies and a steak on the barbecue. Now, here's a confession. There have been times when I've been down enough in my life that the idea of leaving this life was something I toyed with. But during one of those times of considering the viability of living, I realized that if I left, I'd have to leave my body behind. And I couldn't bear to do that because I genuinely love it. Now, that being said, I have a nice little entourage of body critiques that play over and over when I'm around a mirror. Lots of them have to do with aging. There's one about weight, that my eyes are beady, or my forehead is too big, or my nose is too long, or a bunch of stuff that I get to learn how to recognize as body assault chatter. And then remember that it's the love and the energy that we put into the world not the details of our wonderful bodies that actually determine our beauty and our attractive natures. One of the difficulties of changing our body image mindsets is that living in a culture of body perfection expectation, there will always be negative feedback, real or felt, that comes at us. We have to become so full of acceptance and love of our own bodies that the negative societal feedback or expectation that gets flung around has less chance of sticking to us. I know, it's easier said than done, but we're discussing the whole picture here today. So let me share a personal story about negative body image feedback. (music) 
When I was in seventh grade, a very formative age, by the way, there we are trying to figure out how to be socially aware and we're dealing with self-awareness and self-consciousness and all that kind of stuff that junior high is famous for. And I had a geography teacher who thought he was a funny fellow and he liked to tease the girls in the class, especially the ones that were considered his class favorites. He was the coach for the boys basketball team and my friend and I were starters on the girls basketball team so he felt like there was some kind of a rapport there. So we often received the brunt of his jokes. He teased us daily. But one day, in front of all of our peers, he told us that we had elephant noses. He thought that was awesome fun, and he proceeded to throw it out. Hey, elephant nose, he'd yell across the classroom when he wanted our attention. We were little girls who hadn't grown into all of our features. But having an adult in front of all the peers for whom we hoped to be extremely cool disparage how we looked was embarrassing, humiliating, really. I've never forgotten it. We've all probably got a similar story of someone in our lives mocking or finding fault with something about the way we look. Too short, too fat, too skinny, too whatever. There's always something. People in general can often be very cruel to one another. And in junior high, it's even worse, right? If you can make it through that. Then you also have on top of the negative expectations and just the cruelness or the insensitivity of people with one another, you also have the movies and the magazines that show only the glamorous and set these unrealistic expectations, these photoshopped expectations. Body shaming is maybe one of the toughest and most pervasive of modern challenges because it attacks our very being, which tr quickly translates into self-worth issues and self-love issues and how we interact with those around us. It can be a killer. The relationships we have with our bodies are individual. They're different for everyone and very personal. But this discussion is about body stories and it's being open today because we've been given a glorious gift. We have been given bodies that serve us and provide a vehicle for our spirits to experience incredible things. And yet we attack ourselves constantly with complaints, comparisons, and criticisms instead of love. First, let's talk about some ideas of why that might be. And then let's talk about some ways to start seeing things and start seeing ourselves a little differently. Hal and Sidra Stone wrote a book called Embracing Your Inner Critic. They're both clinical psychologists and they created the voice dialogue process. This is a therapy that gives a platform to the inner critic to talk out loud, bluntly and fiercely, and then they help their clients with tools that can transform that into an ally instead of a critical attacking force. Through their work over the years, they have spoken to thousands of inner critics, and they've been doing this um, at the time they wrote the book, it was about 15 years. And one of the universal things that the inner critic criticizes, no matter the country, the gender, the race, you name it, the one thing that was consistent in all of the people that they talked to, all of the inner critics, was that they always attacked the body. Didn't matter what culture they were from. In their book, they said, quote, the critique of the physical body is so all-pervasive, so powerful, and exert such a negative and destructive influence on people's lives that we want to devote a chapter specifically to this area." Unquote. They talk about how the inner critic lives in mirrors. It attacks when we're shopping and trying on clothes. People say things like, 
I don't like the shape of my face or my hips are too big or my neck is too short or my hair just lays there like a wet dish rag. My toes are crooked. My boobs are too small. My boobs are too big or they're too flabby or you name it. Anything about the physical form, that inner critic can complain and critique and just really belittle and be mean you. And I dare say that probably everyone's going to be able to relate with this because it's so universal. There are things about ourselves that when we look in the mirror, that inner critic all of a sudden starts criticizing. So I'd like to point out a couple of ideas and open this conversation here. Well, let's look at two points. The first is obvious. We live in a culture in America with a body image that actually a very small part of the populace can live up to. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. And for those few who fit into that narrow slot of having the ideal body, they really only have it for a span of time when they're at their youthful best. So no one will always have it. Might I point out that that means we have created a monster, a beauty monster that a minuscule part of the population will ever actually emulate. And the rest of the human beings spend all sorts of time in self-criticism and criticism of others and self-loathing because of a pervasive cultural creation that severely cripples the way we think about love and accept ourselves. This makes no sense, no logical sense. Can't we agree to start to change this? I saw a post on Facebook the other day that said, quote, if steroids aren't allowed for athletes, then Photoshop shouldn't be allowed for models, unquote. (laughs) What if we all got real? What if we just got real and accepted everybody the way they were? Okay, so the second idea I want to bring up Um, For those of you who are LDS, you'll understand this next theory. But in the LDS religion, we believe that Satan and those who followed him were not given a body, that they are just spirit entities. And because of this, he and they are quite envious of all people who have bodies, for they, they won't ever have one. What do you think of the idea that the devil on your shoulder becomes a literal attack, an attempt to create self-loathing over one of the greatest gifts we have, our wonderful bodies that allow us to run and jump and dance and walk and smell and experience connection and climb mountains. The body attacks are one of the most pervasive of the inner critic, and I can't help but think that is generated from a space that is intent upon the destruction of self-love and acceptance, and that that did not originate with us that that comes from an outside source and it's so universal that it just makes sense to me that it would be the enemy or Satan, evil, right? Trying to tear down, trying to cripple us. When we are children, we are completely unbody conscious. Nakedness doesn't matter in the slightest. Fat rolls don't matter in the slightest. Have you ever seen a baby worrying about if his head is too big or if his ears poke out? These judgments on ourselves begin to accumulate as criticisms, judgments, and cultural expectations are recognized. Then the inner critic or Satan or some misguided psychological protective device, whichever you think it is, has a heyday with us. It's been given all kinds of things to start throwing at us, all kinds of things that aren't right with us or could be better or reasons that we fall short. The more we are given supposed to's, the more fodder that critic has to throw at us. It's a dangerous business. 
especially when you are unaware that it's a critical construct and not a fact, especially when those criticisms are believed, fostered, propagated, and habitual neural pathways of self-loathing are created. These attacks are particularly effective at incapacitating us because it is an attack on the very medium through which we interact with the world. Our bodies, right? I mean, our bodies are us. This is how people see us. This is how we see other people. This is the medium through which we are engaging. And if that can be attacked, if that can be belittled, if we can be incapacitated because we are ashamed or unhappy with or, you know, really focused, focused on our own selves and and our feelings of unworthiness, boy, does it change how we live. If we feel constant disgust or conflict about our physical appearance, then already it's stopping us from living fully, engaging fully with others. And our self-consciousness stops us from experiencing the life we could have if we weren't playing small in an attempt not to draw attention to what we feel insecure about. Have you ever lost a relationship because you were too self-conscious to allow it? Have you ever destroyed a relationship because you were too self-conscious and pulled back? The other day, my teenage son confided that he'd felt so insecure all week because his face had broken out. And he dreaded going to school. That's, that's how badly he felt about it. He didn't want to get up. And when he was there, he held back from his friends. He left their outings early in the evenings because he was mortified about how he felt about the way that he looked. Well, interestingly, as he told me this story, we realized that the result was that his girlfriend and he started hitting a rough patch because he wasn't engaged and he wasn't fun and all the usual things that he is. He was playing small. He wasn't himself because he was self-conscious over the way that he looked. Let me note here that it wasn't that bad. (laughs) His story about his acne was far more serious than the acne itself. But oftentimes the thing we are most trying to avoid, like losing love and acceptance from our peers or our loved ones, because of an internal story regarding some physical insecurity that actually creates the thing that we're trying to avoid with those around us or our loved ones or friends couldn't have cared less about it. Be careful not to be your worst enemy here. Other people don't care as much or may not even be aware of the things that you think are so blaringly obvious and that create your insecurities. Other people probably don't even notice. They're far more concerned about their own, frankly. I had an interesting experience at one of the weekend coaching retreats that I attended a few years back, so let me share that story. This weekend was a weekend out in the woods, but we were interacting with people whom we wanted to look our best for, and there was a lot of vulnerability going on. And in my book, it's always best to feel comfortable with how you look when you're making yourself emotionally and mentally vulnerable. Once I got there, I realized that I hadn't brought the things I needed to do my hair. I can't remember what had happened, but... No one else had the right size curling iron either. And no matter what I tried, I, I just couldn't find the things I needed to do my hair. So I was stuck with really having nothing to work with on this front. And I wasn't happy about it, a little bit panicked, frankly, because who likes to look bedraggled, especially when you're with um, friends and people that you're probably, well, that are meaningful to you and that this is going to be one of the, the last times that you see them. And, you know, you want to make the best impressions and, well, It was so not ideal, and I was very disappointed, but I couldn't do anything about it. So I made a conscious decision to not be self-conscious. 
to not focus on myself. I simply would banish any thoughts of my own looks and focus on others and being present to the work that we were doing there. Well, I did it. Every time an insecurity would pop up, every time I would think about myself, I would automatically dismiss it and focus outward on somebody else. There were times I actively was redirecting my focus, but I did it and two interesting things happened. The first was that I noticed that the less I thought about myself, actually the happier I was. I was brighter and more loving and less self-involved and that was a really fun feeling. I can do that just fine when I feel like I look good, when I'm comfortable with how I look. But to do it when you know that you look bedraggled is a whole different ballgame. But it was a really cool feeling to always just keep refocusing outward. And it kind of took a, a weight off my shoulders. And that wasn't something I expected. So that was interesting. The second thing was that a few weeks later, my life coach who was at this retreat made a comment about how absolutely beautiful I was that weekend. Now, I had not mentioned anything to her about my predicament. I hadn't said anything about my self-consciousness. I hadn't said anything about my decision to focus outward. She didn't know anything about it. So when she made this comment to me later, I was really forcefully struck. Is it possible that the light that comes from us when we are less concerned about ourselves and any critical analysis of our bodies that we might make, and we are more tuned in to joy and light and self-acceptance, that we actually become more beautiful. Hmm, think about that one. No matter how we look, even the most beautiful people have these critical voices. And no matter how many imperfections we might fix, there will always be another way that we fall short of some culturally created expectation that erroneously has created some meter for measuring the physical ideal and what gets equated as being worthy of love and worthy of acceptance and success. Even if someone is perfectly satisfied with their appearance at age 20, age will eventually catch up with them and generate discontent. Everyone is going to have to face this particular story and decide how they're going to handle it. Let me also point out a fact about cultural body image expectations. In the Middle Ages, the women who were considered most beautiful were those who were plump, well-rounded, curvaceous. You can see this in the paintings and the sculptures. This was the preferred body form because to be fat meant that you were well-to-do, you could afford food. You were of the desirable class. In the 1920s, the rage was that all the prettiest women were flappers, like Twiggy, the model. Very thin, very flat-chested, very boy-like. In fact, Twiggy was given her name because she looked like a stick. Depending upon when you were born, even where you were born, the beauty gauge was and is different. There is no one culturally right thing. I mean, I mean, it's just not fact. It's something that's created. I have a friend who points out that if she were born in the Middle Ages, she would have been a goddess. And she focuses on her beauty and not on criticisms or self-consciousness. It's awesome. My friend Liz, she's another friend who is doing amazing body love work around her weight, said, quote, I think the trick is finding some way to be at peace with our physical selves, regardless of how acceptable or well-matched we are to whatever a person's societal ideal is. That way, we can embrace physical imperfections and the inevitable changes that come with age 
as simply part, another part of ourselves that we appreciate, admire, and love. We can appreciate our bodies as a magnificent or imperfect extension of our best inner selves. Now, of course, this is much easier said than done, in large part because of those internal insecurities we've grappled with our whole lives, and in part because external forces are constantly reinforcing unhealthy expectations. But I think the secret to overcoming the influence of external negativity and expectation is learning to manage and refute unhealthy internal thoughts or stories from that critical voice, unquote. She goes on to point out that when we get or create negative feedback about ourselves and we hear them day after day, year after year, they cause deep and defining damage. In Oprah Winfrey's book, What I Know For Sure, she has a chapter on her experience with body hate and love, and I'd like to read it for you. So this is a quote directly from her book. The amount of time and energy I've spent thinking about what my next meal will be is incalculable. What to eat, what I just ate, how many calories or grams of fat it contains, how much exercise I'll need to do to burn it off. What if I don't work out? How long will it take to manifest as extra pounds? And on and on. Food has been on my mind a lot over the years. I still have the check I wrote to my first diet doctor. Baltimore, 1977, I was 23 years old, 148 pounds, a size 8, and I thought I was fat. The doctor put me on a 1,200-calorie regimen, and in less than two weeks, I had lost 10 pounds. Two months later, I had regained 12. Thus began the cycle of discontent, the struggle with my body, with myself. I joined the dieting brigade, signing up for the Beverly Hills. Atkins, Scarsdale, cabbage soup, and even the banana, hot dog, and egg diets. You think I'm kidding? I wish. What I didn't know is that with each diet I was starving my muscles, slowing my metabolism, and setting myself up to gain even more weight. Around 1995, after almost two decades of yo-yoing, I finally realized that being grateful for my body, whatever shape it was in, was the key to giving more love to myself. But although I made that connection intellectually, living it was a different story. It wasn't until about six years later, after six months of unexplained heart palpitations, that I finally got it. On December 19, 2001, I wrote in my journal, One thing I know for sure, having palpitations at night makes me more aware of being happy to awaken in the morning more grateful for each day. I stopped taking my heart for granted and began thanking it for every beat it had ever given me. I marveled at the wonder of it. In 47 years, I'd never consciously given a thought to what my heart does, feeding oxygen to my lungs, liver, pancreas, even my brain, one beat at a time. For so many years, I had let my heart down by not giving it the support it needed overeating, overstressing, overdoing. No wonder when I lay down at night, it couldn't stop racing. I believe everything that happens in our lives has meaning, that each experience brings a message if we're willing to hear it. So what was my speeding heart trying to tell me? I still didn't know the answer, yet simply asking the question caused me to look at my body and how I had failed to honor it. 
how every diet I had ever been on was because I wanted to fit into something or just fit in. Taking care of my heart, the life force of my body, had never been a priority. I sat up in bed one crisp, sunny morning and made a vow to love my heart, to treat it with respect, to feed and nurture it, to work it out, and then let it rest. And then one night, when I was getting out of the tub, I glanced in the full-length mirror. For the first time, I didn't launch into my self-criticism. I actually felt a warming sense of gratitude for what I saw. My hair berated, not a stitch of makeup on, face clean, eyes bright, alive, shoulders and neck strong and firm. I was thankful for the body I lived in. I did a head-to-toe assessment, and though there was plenty of room for improvement, I no longer hated any part of myself, even the cellulite. I thought, this is the body you've been given. Love what you've got. So I started truly loving the face I was born with. The lines I had under my eyes at age two have gotten deeper, but they're my lines. The broad nose I tried to lift when I was eight by sleeping with a clothespin and two cotton balls on the sides is the nose I've grown into. The full lips I used to pull in when smiling are the lips I've used to speak to millions of people every day. My lips need to be full. In that moment, as I stood before the mirror, I had my own spiritual transformation slash a root revival of love. What I know for sure, there is no need to struggle with your body when you can make a loving and grateful peace with it, unquote. Oprah always has a way with words. She's really very phenomenal. So what is the secret to being at peace with ourselves as we are? The truth is that that is going to be an individual journey for each of us. I could not guarantee one method that would solve all the body shame in the world. But let's start with one of the biggies, the most powerful. The stories that we tell ourselves determine how we feel about ourselves. Be careful with the stories and complaints you allow that inner critic to play on rewind. Like any reprogramming of our internal stories, we must first become aware that the long-held belief that you see as fact, that negative criticism you have about your body, can be seen in a different way. Being short doesn't have to mean you are less. Being fat isn't a moral failure. Having a long neck can be considered an asset. What if you accept that the social stereotypes are not a fact? No cultural declaration of beauty has anything to do with fact. While you may not be able to change a cultural view, you can certainly change your own acceptance and view of yourself and find your own peace, and that's really all that matters anyway. Being open to reframing those internal stories means that as you are aware of the biting comments as they assault you, that you replace them with new stories that serve and celebrate you. Stories of acceptance like, I am beautiful just the way I am, or... I love and accept myself and embrace my personal beauty. Or, I release my self-judgments and replace them with loving appreciation. Or, thank you body for taking me where I want to go, for helping me to experience life. Or, I grow more and more beautiful every day. With this repetition, your views and acceptance levels shift. They really do. 
but it takes time and it takes consistently dismissing the negative ones and replacing them with the positive ones. For me, just from a logical standpoint, it also helps to realize that beauty is so individual. We're all just a mix of features and we're going to connect with people of all shapes and sizes differently. Why feel badly about who we are or make others feel badly about who they are? Most people are just pretty average looking and the thing that really sets us apart in the most meaningful way is the way we carry ourselves, our spirit and our energy. I truly believe these create the real beauty in a person. You've seen it. When someone carries themselves with confidence and pride, when they're focused on others and filled with joy rather than self-consciousness, they emanate a spirit and an energy that attracts others that makes you want to be around them. Recognizing and giving credence to these facts are the basis for a foundation of shifting. Recognizing and allowing for our self-worth and self-love beyond pervasive and dangerous weavings of a destructive cultural construct is the first step to self-acceptance. My friend Liz, who has felt the social and cultural judgments about her weight since she was very young, said, It's not intuitive for a lot of people, and it comes easy to no one to make these adjustments in self-judgment. Up until very recently, the idea of, of accepting my body as it is rather than holding on hope I could change it, felt impossible. Blasphemous. Radical. It made me angry because the very suggestion seemed to imply a failing of moral and emotional strength, an unforgivable physical shame. It implied that I could never, ever be hopeful or beautiful again, that my life would never really start, which isn't true. But to understand that, I had to read and read and read content in which really smart women insisted you're fine the way you are. The majority of society may never see you that way, but you need to let that go. To let go of a lifetime's worth of negative feedback. To love yourself. And when you really manage to do that, it's going to be enough. You'll find that your own good opinion is good opinion enough. Loving ourselves means truly, deeply letting go of what society thinks of us so long as our worth is tied to their perceptions and opinions, we will always be found wanting. Unquote. I love both Liz's declaration as well as Oprah's. We must make a loving and grateful peace with our bodies. We must love and cherish the gift that they are, regardless of any message otherwise from any other source. Always return to gratitude that you have a body and that it allows you to do what it allows you to do. To smell, to see, to love, to dance. Honor your body by caring for it and treating it with respect. Lindy West, the author of the book Shrill, said, Loving yourself is not antithetical to health. It is intrinsic to health. You can't take good care of a thing that you hate. Unquote. Your challenge for this week is to start to notice the complaints and criticisms, the inner stories about your body, and realize they are not fact, that they are imposed judgments that can be replaced with acceptance and love if you're open to it. You must accept you. Please note that when body critic stories have been playing over and over in our minds for as long as we can remember, that they have actually created neural pathways that will have to actively be reprogrammed 
choose other thoughts of acceptance and love and gratitude to replace the mean and critical ones that that inner critic throws out at you. Love yourself. Start on that journey. Start on that hero's journey. Love your story. And for more on self and body love, check out episode 26, my interview with Natalie Christine. She is a self-love and body coach, and she's really a rock star. So another great resource there. Thank you for tuning in today for this discussion on that inner critic and the body talk. It's, it's a big issue, and I wanted to open it up just for consideration and ideas. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can post on the website, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. Under each episode, there's a comment box or on Facebook, our Facebook Love Your Story podcast page. There's places where you can, you know, share your story, share your thoughts about the episodes. I'd love to hear from you. A couple quick reminders before we close out. Don't forget to sign up for the free audio book. It's also an ebook if you prefer that. The key to your super self, how your stories unlock your superpower. It's my free gift to you. Just head to the website to grab it, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. And then a pop-up box will allow you to sign up when you visit the site. And of course, if you haven't hopped on the 21 Day Challenge bandwagon, head to the website and sign up for a fun, totally productive and guided way to create more love and peace and possibility in your story. These challenges are guided and they are they include things like today your challenge is to find someone to do a random act of kindness for or to get rid of something in your space that you no longer need or to give someone the benefit of the doubt today. 21 challenges each day. They're easy, simple, but profound things that help you create your best life story. And by the time you're done, you're going to have a handful of them that really made a significant difference. One of the fun parts of this challenge is that it's set up so that every day you don't know what the next challenge is. You find out in the morning and you find out what adventure lies ahead for you. Then after you have these experiences by buying into these challenges and making them happen things start happening in your life everyone who is involved is having a great time and it'll create some powerful changes and insights for your life guaranteed this is the next step for testing out some great life hacks to help you create your best life story moving forward so go sign up for it and i will see you next week on the next episode have a great week